Who gets to decide how God uses his strength? If I'm strong, who gets to decide how I use my strength? Well, I do. Meekness in the Bible is having strength and choosing not to use it. Choosing not to use your power to enforce something, but rather lowering yourself. That's meekness. Not weakness, but meekness. So the person who has the muscles gets to decide how to use them, whether he uses them well or not. He's the guy with them. He decides if he wants to do something good with his muscles, with his might and his power, or not. And when it comes to God, who gets to decide how he uses his strength is him, his alone. That's God's prerogative, not mine. And that gets us to today's lesson in Matthew chapter 20. We're talking about the greatest of all time. Um, And two weeks ago, we saw the great confession. The greatest thing that will ever come from our mouths is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We will never, never say anything better. Then we looked at what it means to be a great Christian. And Jesus answered that. He said, make yourself last. Who's the greatest but the least? Like a little child even. It's not about being the most important. It's about serving others. And that plays strongly into today as well. But today we're looking at Matthew chapter 20 and a parable that Jesus told. And nowhere in this parable does it use the word great. I'm kind of interjecting it because I've got to keep my sermon series going. But In chapter 20, I think we see something. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to read it in just a minute. We see a great gift. And really what it boils down to is the greatest gift. And it's in parable form. But it's talking about God's grace. And there's never been a better gift. It was given through Jesus, by Jesus, in Jesus. Jesus himself is God's grace revealed and he laid himself down. He laid down his life so that we could have that gift of eternity that he offers through grace. And it's such a great gift, not everybody likes it. There's a scandal to it. It's so great, it might make you mad. And that's what... This parable in chapter 20 can do. So, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. Um, I don't know if this happens too much anymore, but my mom tells me and my dad, who owned a marble, he did marble countertops when I was born, had a little... Uh, his own little shop, and he'd go to the town square in Hope, Arkansas. That's where I was born. Two years later, we moved away. But he went down to the town square on a regular occurrence if there was a job to do. Some days he had more to do than others. He was a contract worker, you know, home builders and that kind of stuff, or just people who wanted new countertops. And it was a poured countertop, but it looked marble. It was kind of like a, a faux marble thing. But anyway, he started this business, and it went well for several years. But on a busy day, he'd go downtown, the town square, the cafe, and everybody milling around, and he'd look for guys who needed jobs. Hey, I need three or four guys this morning. Who's, who wants in? 
And three or four guys would pipe up, or maybe more, and he'd have to pick a few or whatever. But that's just how day laborers were. And still can be even today, but especially how they were in Jesus' day. Go into town. I need some workers today. It's harvest time. Who's coming? Because you obviously need more workers in harvest than you do before harvest, because you've got to get the crop in. So we're going to hire extra laborers, seasonal laborers, is what we call it now. But before, it was just guys milling around downtown saying, come on, I need you today. So early in the morning, he went to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, going to pay them what the going rate was, he sent them into his vineyard. When it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, so probably about three hours later, if he went in at 6 a.m. when the sun first came up, He went out again and saw others standing around the marketplace without work. He said to them, you, go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again at about noon, lunchtime, and then again at three o'clock, did the same thing. There were still people standing around and he needed workers. Come on, I got a job for you to do. Come work for me. He did the same thing. And about five o'clock... Getting toward the end of the day when the people are getting ready to go home. Five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why are you standing around here all day without work? And the response is simple. No one's hired us. So, he said to them, You go and work in the vineyard too. When it was evening, the sun set. About an hour later, that's all the time that they had to put in. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay them their wages. But a little trick just for the purpose of the story of this parable, starting with the last hired and then the first. Start with the guys I hired at the end of the day. And when those hired about five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And so the guys at the back of the line now, who'd worked all day, are thinking, all right, bonus. All right. But when they came up, when those hard first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one also received the standard wage. They all got the same amount. Whether they worked 12 hours or one hour. When they received it, They began to complain. Again, this biblical theme of complaining that runs so deep. Way back to the time of the Israelites. All the way into Jesus' day. And I'll be, if we're still not complaining today, finding stuff to complain about. And now we have the internet to do it with. Wow, we get to complain even more. But they came in, they they began to complain against the landowner saying, the last fellows worked one hour, one measly hour, and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardship of the burning heat of the day. We, we work like dogs all day long, and you're giving us the same what you gave them and just showed up at the very end. But it was nice and cool, not even hot anymore. The landowner replied to one of them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? We agreed on this at the beginning of the day. I'm I'm living up to my agreement completely. 
What's the big deal? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus closes it up with. Ooh, those questions, they sting. There's not much of a comeback for these questions the landowner poses. Is it not my money? Did I not live up to the bargain we struck? That's the first one. Verse 15, 14. This is our agreed upon wage. It's the standard wage. You said yes, I said yes. Okay, we made a bargain. I'm giving you exactly what I told you I would give you for the work that I anticipated you would give. As far as the rest of my money, is it not mine to use? I'm sorry, I didn't know I needed your permission. Or are you envious because I am generous? That's a hard question. One that you, well, of course I wouldn't be envious of somebody else's generosity, but we are My goodness, we are. We don't like to see what we, in our minds, classify as unfairness. It's not right. It's a great gift, but it can make you upset because it makes you understandably upset. I mean, if I was one of those workers who worked all day long, I can't... I would have been pretty upset too. I'll admit it. I would not have been happy. I would would be fairly sore that the person who worked one hour got the same as me for working 12 hours. And if I happened to be there in the next day, I wouldn't show up till late in the day to get the day off and easy and get the same amount of money. I mean, as far as a standard economic, you know, thing, this really doesn't make sense. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work more than one day at least, because then you'd have disgruntled employees not wanting to work very hard for you, and that doesn't work. So you know, the mantra of the business world is pay your employees well so that they want to do a good job for you. And this landowner, fine in the face of that a little bit. But Jesus is not talking about landowners and vineyards and earthly economies. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about grace. The grace of his father. The gift. The greatest gift of eternity. And again, I would have been upset. Because I've worked hard. You know how many boring sermons I sat through? (laughs) Uh, I always appreciate the amen. You know how long, I, how much I've given, how hard I've worked, how much time I've put into the work of the church. You know how much I've, I've held back and not done the fun stuff because I knew it wasn't right. Day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And that guy gets what I get? That's not fair. And implied in that statement of that's not fair is that's not fair to me. And God's response is plain. It's not about you. It's not about you. 
I'll give you what I want to give you, and I will give them what I want to give them. It's not about you. So being understandably upset really easily offended. Understandably upset, I like that. I mean, I can agree with, I guess. Easily offended, I mean, it's kind of a buzzword. Everybody's so easily offended. And um, see everything, dispute all the time, um, um, easily offended. And, and the interesting thing is, when I hear people talk about people who are easily offended, they're always talking about somebody else. We don't always look in the mirror with this easily offended thing. It's something we're easy to point out, point out and all the other people who are offended by what doesn't offend me. But if something offends me, well, then it's actually something to be worth offended by. And the street often doesn't go two ways, at least in our minds. Um, use an example. You might not like this example. I apologize in advance for it. And I'm not trying to make a statement of how I even view this, but let's take, for instance, this whole, you know, removing statues, flying flags, and all names of roads and schools and all that. And I hear one side saying, you're just too easily offended by those things. Those things are historical. Those things are actual. And, and you're taking offense where you don't need to. But then that statue comes down or that school gets renamed. You know who gets offended? The person who's calling the other person easily offended. And they start shouting and screaming and yelling about it. Again, we don't like that street to run both ways. Now, again, I'm not trying to make any statement as to the, this political issue that comes and goes. It comes and goes, I guess... Sometimes more it's in the news than others, depending on what statues are being taken down or what you know, protests are being done. But just from a purely objective view of it, both sides are calling each other easily offended without either one admitting that they're easily offended. That's just the way we are. If you're offended by something, you get over it. If I'm offended by something, you better change. And we're all guilty of that, not just the other political party. We're all susceptible to that. And here again, you don't see a protest from those guys hired at the end of the day. They didn't complain that they got a full day's wages. It didn't offend them in the least. It offended those who'd worked all day and said, well, that's not easily offended, but here's the thing. Anybody who's offended by something out of their control is easily offended. We can be concerned about issues in our world, which we should be concerned about because God is concerned about it. And I should have, you know, the same burdens on my heart that God himself does. But 
If it's not mine to worry about it, why am I so offended by it? Why do I yell and scream and stomp my feet if it's not my choice to make? And in the case of this parable, the landowner says, this is my choice to make. I'm the one paying the wages. And I'll give you what we agreed upon. But am I not free to do with as I want? Why does it offend you? Why are you so worried about how I spend my money? That's what the landowner asks the tenants. And I've seen many people offended by how other people spend their money. Now there's a good way to spend money and there's a bad way to spend money and lots of maybe some gray areas to spend money. It's not my job to make sure everybody spends their money according to how Colby Clapp would spend their money. To spend it as fairly as I think it ought to be spended. My job is to take care of my money and to be faithful with it. To be an example of faithfulness and to not be afraid to speak out of what's right and what's wrong, but offended? It's theirs to use. They'll answer for it themselves one day. I don't have to get all twist, bent out of shape. Because really it has very little to do with me. And that's what this tenant, this landowner is trying to explain to his tenants. This has nothing to do with you. I paid you a fair price. You worked hard. Yes, good job. Here's your day's wages. Don't worry about anybody else. And I've told my kids that so many times you'd think I'd eventually listen myself. Don't worry about anybody else. Because I can be easily offended. Oh, An example of this. Lisa's not here. So I can incriminate myself without backlash or worry about, you know, it being rubbed in any further, especially by my kids. Um, I, I need to do some work on being a better husband and everything, father. Uh, Lisa and I have had many a discussion uh, about the way that I think the kitchen should be organized. Here I am, 42 years old. You'd think I'd learned something by now. But we still occasionally have this discussion. And Lisa rightfully points out, whenever you're the one doing the, most of the cooking and the cleaning, feel free. <laughs> but if you want me to continue doing it, let me organize it my way. And in my mind, I'm like, but it'll work better if you do this. <laughs> I say, it's not mine to worry about. And if it's not yours to worry about, don't worry about it. Don't be offended by it. And when it comes to God's grace, I get to receive it and I get to tell other people about it, but it's not mine to give. It's not mine to choose who gets it and who does not. And it never has been and it never will be. It is a great gift. The greatest gift. And it's not mine to determine how it's given. And that might make me upset. It made, I mean, the Jews upset. The Jewish people who had generation after generation after generation had followed the laws of Moses, not had their bacon. 
Everybody else is eating their bacon. Not us, God. We're doing it right. And now you're saying the people that ate the bacon get just as much as we got when we spent all that time not eating it and doing what was right. And they were living it up, not just bacon, but all kinds of other pagan things and immoral things. And you're saying they get the same grace? And God's answer is simply, yep, it's mine to give. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for your service. It means more than you probably even know yourself. As far as how they set the stage for Jesus himself to come to this world. And the heroes of faith in the Old Testament encourage us so much in the lives we live now in service to our King. And that it wasn't wasted, not by any means, but don't be offended because our God is generous. Because somebody you don't like maybe gets the same grace you get. It's not yours to give. I met the guy that baptized Jeffrey Dahmer. When I was in Iowa, I went to a preacher retreat up in Wisconsin. I'm going this year, Lord willing. Don't get COVID. End of September, there's a preacher's retreat in Wisconsin. I love it. So I'm driving all the way there, picking up a buddy of mine in Oklahoma, and we're going together. And spend three days at this retreat at the very last week of September. I love it. I've always loved it. Such a, it's at a, this church camp out in the woods and all. I know preachers retreat doesn't sound like much fun to most of you hang out with a bunch of preachers, but it really is a beautiful atmosphere. And the guy that went that came frequently was the guy who baptized Jeffrey Dahmer. Amazing story. I'll have to tell more details of it some other time. But uh, he was given to talk about prison ministry, and he was talking about you know after baptizing Jeffrey Dahmer how people were upset with him for even insinuating that Jeffrey Dahmer was going to be in the same heaven they were. And his message, and I think God's message is, get over it. Get over it. If I want him there, he's there. If I give him grace, I give him grace. You worry about you. My grace is for you too. But in order to receive it, you have to be okay with all the other people that get the grace as well. As Paul said, whether they be Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian, male or female, black, white, yellow, red, green, purple, blue, ultraviolet, doesn't matter. If God gives them grace, it's because it's a great gift. And if I don't like it, I can get over it. That's what this parable of the landowner is all about. And my only place, my only role, my only response I need to worry about is being incessantly appreciative. Even if I'm that guy who showed up all day long and worked for that money, you know what? I take that money and I say, thank you. Thank you for doing what you promised. And letting me buy bread today, take care of my family, put food on my table, keep a roof over my head. Thank you. And if you want to do that for somebody else, even if they didn't work as hard as me, thank you. You're a good Lord, a good king, a good master. You give us what we need. And I might not get what I think (laughs) would be unfair in my mind, but 
get out of my mind. Get out of my head. Don't think about me. Just be grateful. That's what those workers should have been. And it's a challenging story. Because, you know, of all the parables, this one seems maybe the most unfair. Well, too bad. The gift of grace is so amazing, it has nothing to do with being fair. It's just good. And God gives it as he determines to give it. And he invites us to say, come share in it. And that takes us to the verse that Cade read. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not about you. You get it, but it's not about you. It is the gift of God. That great, that greatest gift of God. It is not from works so that you don't boast and think somehow you deserve it. It's God's. Just be grateful. Crave it. Hunger for it. Desire it. And know that God freely gives it. And rejoice whenever others get it beside you. That's a good thing. It's a great gift.